everyone, welcome to Flock Tales, where we drink and talk about birds, mostly. I'm Maya Pershing. I'm Kristen Brown. I'm Jen Schneiderman. And I'm Ashley Ola. And we are your four resident bird nerds, and today we are talking about the wonderful wheel- weird word world. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> where is this I, going? <laughs> I did not eat enough today either, apparently. Oh, we're um, all drunk and hungry. <laughs> yup. Uh, I am not drunk or hungry. I'm pretty good. I whoa. ate right before What? Started. You're always hungry. Oh, mm. mm. Ashley. <laughs> I'm jealous. You're a real adult. <laughs> well, I'm like double of both of those things, so I'm making up for it. Yeah, I was like, if you try hard before the end of the episode, you could be drunk. Probably. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, today we are talking about the wonderful, weird world of corvids. Nice. Um, and Kristen studies corvids, which is pretty cool, too. Ah, uh, corvid. Yes. <laughs> A corvid. We've just expanded it. Master of all corvid now. I would love to be the master of all corvids, but unfortunately that is not the case. But I do study the Stellar's J, which is a pretty cool corvid that nobody chose for this episode and i'm disappointed in everyone um i was thinking you were gonna do it and then you didn't so (laughs) i considered it for a brief second and then i changed my mind so we'll come back to it you did you did pick a good one i think yeah i think so there's so many good ones though that's the problem that's very fair um Oh my god, okay, sorry. I have to, like, sidetrack for two seconds. Cody is just holding up Sigyn, and she is getting her medicine, which she now loves, and her feet are just, like, oh, vibrating. Oh. <laughs> so sweet. Okay, Good sorry. sidetrack. Wait, does everyone Corvids. know who Sigyn is? Ooh. Did we talk about this before? Oh, Sigyn's my ferret. <laughs> Could I just spend that guess? Sigyn's my roommate. I <laughs> just left it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, have you ever done that thing where you say the weirdest thing your pet has done, but instead of saying my pet, you say my roommate? No. <laughs> oh. Oh, hell. Like, okay, hang on. Okay, hang on, hang on. So my roommate stole my flashlight and then shat in the corner. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty good. That's great. <laughs> what are weird things your roommates have done? Um, my, oh my roommate ran away while barfing on the floor so it <laughs> got spewed everywhere or same roommate other end running oh, diarrhea no. everywhere oh, oh no. that's gnarly so sometimes we call her the vomit comet although it's only happened once so <laughs> still legendary Wait, that's such a good nickname yes my roommate um, ate his own farts, which was pretty exciting. Wow. <laughs> which also requires a little bit of yoga, so it's actually kind of impressive. One time, my roommate chased a, like a chipmunk underneath a woodpile in the winter, and he got stuck, and the whole thing was frozen, and we had to like dig him out. <laughs> oh, no. <Yeah. laughs> pretty wild. <laughs> Wait, so it, like, Pooh Bear, like, got its head yes. stuck in the woodpile? No, like, he dove <laughs> in. Those crazy roommates. I know. Gotta Can't love trust them. 
Wait, yeah, what were we here to talk about? Uh, yeah, right, right. So Corvids. We forgot to say what Corvids are. Yeah, we should back realized. up a little bit. Kristen, Corvid expert. <laughs> yes, sure. So Corvids are members of the family Corvidae. Um, yeah, I mean, so there's like over 120 different species of Corvids, but most of them are in the genus Corvus, which is crows, ravens and the rook Mm. so yeah i guess they're known for intelligence most of them are omnivores and will eat a lot of different stuff um they're generally pretty big yeah there's there's so much diversity it's hard to like generalize too much about the whole family but other corvids you might know would be like jays or magpies so the corvid I'm going to talk about is the common raven, and a really good segue from roommates slash pets into ravens. And yes. um, so I was reading this book um, a long time ago and then frantically reread some of it like half an hour ago, and it's called Mind of the Raven, and it's by Bernd Heinrich, who's this really cool like naturalist, author, And he has been, like, obsessed with ravens for decades and raised a lot of ravens from he would, like, find them in their nests when they were little and capture groups of them and raise them in aviaries and do all these really cool experiments on, like, how they thought about problems. But he also just collected, like, anecdotes about ravens, which is super fun. And um, he so he had all of his ravens banded, and one of his neighbors told him that one of his banded ravens was like coming over to their farm and chasing the cats when the cats had food. If the cat was like coming out of the woods with a mouse, the raven would like sneak up behind it and scare it. So the cat dropped the mouse and then grabbed the mouse and fly off. I just loved that. They're so intelligent. (laughs) Okay, so something that I just came across about ravens that is super fascinating. Maybe you guys already know this, but it was like new to me or knew that I had thought of it in this way. Um, There's a study that came out a couple years ago talking about how ravens have the theory of mind. Have you heard of this? This is ringing bells. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. It is, yeah. Yeah, so they can recognize mental states, like different mental states in themselves and in other birds and animals and understand that the mental states in other animals are different from their own mental states, which is so incredible. That's That's crazy. Now all I can think about is like, yeah, I want to read the paper and see how you prove that experimentally, that that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, completely. It was Mm -hmm. kind of a, um, I'm trying to remember, I don't have all the details with me right now, but like they were looking at, uh, (laughs) like ravens were able to look through a peephole into a room and so they understood that like they were spying on what was happening in the room and so they'd go in afterwards to like look for food that someone hid but they understood that like if they were spying then other ravens had the potential to also be around and like be hidden and be spying on them and just like this really cool jump where they didn't have whatever they were thinking about or extrapolating wasn't in their gaze like it wasn't in their field of vision right at that moment but they still had some way of knowing that is incredible yeah it's that's so cool cool <laughs> and it's just such like a human thing like the theory of mind is usually applied to human psychology to like assessing different like mental 
disorders, I guess, mainly if you don't have the theory of mind, if you don't think about other people as like perceiving different mental states and being different from you, then that's like a big thing for humans, obviously, but just crazy to think of it applying to ravens. That's really cool. So ravens are not <clears throat> sociopaths. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not. I was they're not. <laughs> they like pass the test. <laughs> and I think what's cool about it is it kind of like highlights things that people have noticed or watched about ravens and not necessarily studied. Like they haven't been able to prove this before, but there's so many stories of ravens doing things that just seem so human-like. Like they're just really having fun or like learning in ways that's really experimental and curiosity driven so they have you know an equally likely chance of looking really intelligent or just really dumb when they're doing things and it's all this way of interacting (laughs) with the world that is so relatable i found this part um in a book called year of the gorilla by george schaller he's like a really long time ago naturalist guy um and he was observing gorillas in east central africa And the time that uh, the male gorilla in this, like, troop he was watching was the most angry he ever saw him. It was when he was just getting dive-bombed by a group of ravens that was just doing it for fun. Like, just found this group of mountain gorillas and was, like, swooping at them and annoying them and confusing them. And the gorillas could do nothing about it. And, like, it's so, I mean, of course the ravens, like, if you think about it, like, knew they could perceive this like mental state of the gorillas and we're like having fun with it so (laughs) i loved that are the ravens the ones that will also like pull on the feathers of like vultures and stuff as they're feeding just for like funsies Mm -hmm. basically Mm -hmm. they'll as the ravens are flying they'll like the highest one will drop a feather and others will like try to catch it and they yeah oh that's so I didn't realize that I was talking about when they're assholes and like vultures are on a carcass and the ravens like oh yeah yeah they do that to them but then they'll also like carry the feathers with them and play with them for a while and oh my god yeah that's so cool wait have y'all seen the videos of ravens like pulling dogs tails when they're like outside yes Uh, they're so cute so interesting ravens are such bullies they really are they uh hunt cooperatively which is pretty interesting too they all kind of gang up on animals that like they wouldn't be able to bring down by themselves but they have that group intelligence like what kind of animals um well the example i was just reading about which is wild and i had no idea is uh I guess they kill and eat desert tortoises, like, frequently, Mm. which is a problem Mm. because desert tortoises are endangered for, like, 3,000 reasons. I don't know how many are left, but it's, like, not so many. (laughs) (laughs) And it's wild. These researchers who study them had to come up with this system of, like, making lasers. They could point at ravens from up to a mile away because you can, you know, see the ravens, like, diving down onto a tortoise in the desert, but you can't get there in time, and they'll really quickly, like kill it like pull it out of its shell if it's too big like multiple ravens will swoop down but Mm -hmm. yeah they're like figuring out this system now where they're shooting lasers and like it doesn't hurt the ravens obviously it's just really alarming to them because it looks like a solid object that just appears out of nowhere so it's really startling (laughs) and they'll all fly away Mm -hmm. um i guess there's like hundreds and hundreds at this site but yeah, it's just so interesting. There's like several engineers on this crew now that are making like little 
like Land Rover things and drones and lasers to like try to outsmart these ravens to get the tortoises to survive. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty intense. I had no idea. But yeah, I guess they're, you know, a species that's doing really well in a human dominated landscape. They can adapt so much more quickly than a species like desert tortoises and um mm-hmm. yeah mirlats actually like the slowest oh, over god i know <laughs> so, <sad. laughs> so they had these little so rover sad. things like it looked like a i don't know like a remote controlled truck that was like following this tortoise around to protect it from the ravens <laughs> and, oh. like the tortoise was fine but it kept accidentally getting run over by this thing Wait, I'm so here for a children's book about a tortoise and, like, his best friend, this little (laughs) rover that's, like, protecting him. From the ravens? Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh. Except we don't need any more books where ravens or corvids are the bad guys. That's true. We could make it just, like, people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that is the issue in that area. It's like ravens eat a bunch of food in the city and then they can live in the desert because they have all these extra food resources. Mm -hmm. And now they're predating on tortoises because they're convenient. Yeah, they're not fast moving. It's uh, so much. <laughs> these <laughs> pictures are just so sad because like the tortoises can't even really hide. They're in the desert and... Mm-hmm. Oh god! Oh, I think it's like specifically juvenile tortoises too that they kind of pick on. Mm-hmm. It's sad. Uh, yeah, I did get distracted halfway through this article because there was a link to a video of a captive raven who learned to say hello in a human voice. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Uh- <laughs> Oh my gosh, I have, okay, so when I was interning, or sorry, when my partner was interning and I was volunteering at a zoo, um, we had two captive ravens, and one was named Beelzebub, and the other was named Merlin, mm, yes. and Beelzebub could, Beelzebub could say his name, and do the creepiest human laugh right in your ear, oh. and, <laughs> and he taught... He was, like, older, and Merlin was, like, a new... So these were, like, animals that had gotten injured and couldn't be re-released mm-hmm. into the wild. So they were then, like, conservation ambassadors or whatever. But, like, so Merlin came in a couple... Like, a like quite a few years after Beelzebub. And then Beelzebub taught Merlin the creepy laugh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Whoa. So good. That is interesting. Yeah. In this um, really brief look I did at this YouTube video of a raven talking. Um, It was interesting Mm -hmm. because the raven would only talk in its human voice when it was around humans and when other ravens weren't present. Which is just like... like it didn't want to get embarrassed in front of his friends. Or like it somehow (laughs) knew that it wasn't going to be useful to like say hello to the ravens and didn't want them to know. That's amazing. Oh my god, yeah. (laughs) That is great. Yeah. Oh that's my amazing. Gosh. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I wonder if I've, I mean, so I've watched a lot of videos of ravens that can talk on YouTube. It's a small obsession of mine lately, <laughs> but it's crazy to me because they like, seriously, they mimic their owner's voices specifically. Yeah. Oh, like, it's not like a parrot that like, I feel like most parrots kind of sound the same because they're like saying human words and parrot speak. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the ravens are crazy. Like all of their like human voices are very different and very reminiscent of their owner that you can also hear in the video talking to them. Wow. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's like really, I think, mimicking precisely. Well, that's all I specifically had found about ravens right now. I'm sure there's like hundreds of hours of more things you could say about them. totally (laughs) such a good bird Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well the corvid species that i chose and this was a very tough decision um but i ended up (laughs) choosing the new caledonian crow yeah i love this bird it's such a cool bird okay so i was really surprised well okay i'm gonna i'll start at the beginning so (laughs) a lot of the research that i'm gonna talk about has come from the university of auckland st andrews university and oxford um but so new caledonian crows are endemic to new caledonia which i actually had to look up because i was like wait i don't know where that is (laughs) um it turns out it's off the eastern coast of australia but like way off. It's like something like 750 miles from Australia. Wow. Um, but it turns out it's actually a special collectivity of France, which means it's like a French territory. Hmm. So fun facts about New Caledonia. <laughs> anyway, so it also is one of the more diverse places in the planet, it turns out. Um, so I think the, the climate is pretty tropical. But so one of the endemic species is the New Caledonian crow. Um, And I was surprised because these birds have been used a ton as like a model species for us to understand tool using and the evolution of tool using. But it turns out like there is not that much about their ecology in the wild. Hmm. So it's kind of a research gap for these guys. Like we know a lot about how they behave in captivity, but less about how they behave in the wild. So keep that in mind. (laughs) Um, What we do know about their ecology from everything that I read was they're similar to a lot of other corvids. They're omnivores, so they'll eat lots of different things. And I liked the list on Wikipedia of things that they eat was like insects, fruits, nuts, seeds, small birds and eggs, carrion, and other edible matter. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I think that means trash. Yeah. Most likely. French fries. That could be so many things. I was like, if you try hard enough, dirt is edible. Right? That's the thing. I mean, I've seen Jays eat dirt, so it definitely happens. Um... But yeah, so anyway, these birds are super smart in the ways that they forage. They will drop nuts on hard surfaces to crack them, which is kind of cool. And they also, what they're kind of famous for is tool use. So they'll, in the wild, they use sticks that they usually like fashion by bending them or like tearing strips of bark out of certain places and like making tools that are the correct shape. They'll stick those tools then into like crevices. And I read conflicting accounts of whether they impale the grubs or whether they piss off the grubs so that the grubs grab the stick. (laughs) (laughs) And then they like pull them out of their little crevice and gobble them up like the witch did with Hansel and Gretel because I'm still in the Halloween spirit. (laughs) Yes, But could it be both that they piss them off and impale them? Just depending on circumstances? Probably. That's kind of what I imagine. I mean, when you stick a sharp stick in a hole, you're just hoping that you pull out a grub. It doesn't really matter to you how that happens, I'm guessing. (laughs) (laughs) 
Coming from someone who's impaled a lot of grubs and trees, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or were you like the 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 grubs in Lion King that looked super super delicious Ooh. as a young child? Oh, I never watched that scene as a kid. <laughs> oh, I thought they made them look really like tasty. I liked so bright, the like, crunchy colored. sound, but yeah. I could not watch them eat them. No. Mm-mm, oh, they looked amazing. I was so down. Okay. No. Thank no. you, Maya. Thank you, Maya. <laughs> they looked too juicy. Yeah. Okay. That was what did it for me, too. I was like, that shit is slimy as fuck. You can't fool me. Mm-hmm. Edible matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's all edible matter. It's fine. <laughs> but I also yes. would not eat pasta as a child. So I was very sensitive to uh, same slime. thing. <laughs> Grubs, pasta, whatever. That's what you use. I guess grubs aren't worms, but they're kind of wormy. Spaghetti noodles. My every time I eat pasta, I'm just gonna be like, oh yeah, grubs. No, I'm never coming over for pasta night. (laughs) What's that one really slimy pasta like orzo that just really looks like grubs? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I do. It's so good. I love orzo. Oh my god! Yeah, you overcook that stuff for like one extra minute, and it's all over. Oh my god! And it's just like a mush in a pan, but like maggot shaped. Oh, they kind of are. Oh no! Now I'm not going to be able to eat them. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, I usually see orzo in like cold pasta salads, though. So, ooh, is that better or worse? I don't do cold pasta salads. Uh uh-uh. uh. Something about cold, <laughs> slimy noodles. So Midwestern. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, cold, slimy noodles is getting me. I feel like flaccid is what first came to mind. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess Maya and I will just go get fucked with our flaccid noodles. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Need some flaccid nudes up in here. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so grubs. So New Caledonian oh, crows. Yeah. <laughs> right. Where was I? Impaling? <laughs> um, yeah, so they they pull out their grubs and they eat them and do to do. Oh, so it's thought that ecologically, so in New Caledonia they don't have any woodpeckers. So these guys fill kind of a similar ecological niche as like a woodpecker would. Um and then I was reminded of the existence of woodpecker finches in the Galapagos that also, they don't make tools, but they use like simple tools. So they'll like pick up a stick that's already there and use that to forage for bugs. Ooh, because Kristen. there are also not woodpeckers in the Galapagos. I have a question. Yes. Do they keep their tools? Their they favorite They sure ones? do. Yeah, yeah. So they'll <laughs> like keep their tools with them and like stash them under their feet when they're not using them. <laughs> Which is under really their cute. feet? That's so cute. Oh my god. Yeah, so they don't like to lose like they there was some like anecdotal yeah, just story about like the crows would apparently get really mad if they lost their favorite tools or like <laughs> if they were up in a tree and they accidentally dropped them. Oh. <laughs> I, they would like get upset. 
I think there are plenty of people that like have their favorite tools in their toolboxes that would definitely feel exactly like those crows. Yeah, dude. Yeah, you get all the way up into a tree and then you drop it. (laughs) Like, shit. And it's your favorite one (laughs) as well. It's not just any screwdriver. It's your favorite screwdriver. It might even be like... like, Oh, go ahead. Hmm. I was just going to say, speaking from experience, it is an absolute bitch and a half to, like, get down into your basement and be like, oh, fuck, I need this tool. God damn it. It's in the garage. And you have to, like, go back up the stairs, go to the fucking garage, rifle through three other tools that are not exactly what you need, and then go back down to the basement. Mm -hmm. So I get it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like, you forgot what you were trying to do by the time you get back down there. It's like, well, I don't even know. (laughs) Literally, for, like, three months, that was my life. (laughs) Oh, so, uh, yeah, they get mad when they lose their tools. They, oh, these guys are just crazy. Um, I have so many things. I'm mm-hmm. going to try to skip to the interesting ones. <laughs> um, so they can also, in captivity, um, they can spontaneously make tools from, like, materials that they've never seen in the wild, which okay. is pretty impressive. They're capable of making complex tools, so, like, they can, instead of just, like, taking one branch and bending it, they can also, like, can create, they call them compound tools from, like, two to four branches that they, like, slot together so that it makes a longer little implement. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. They make the most complex tools of any animal yet studied apart from humans. Hmm. Which is kind of impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, great apes get all the credit, but Corvids is really where it's at. When we when it comes mm-hmm. to intelligence, yes, <laughs> I think if they had thumbs, they would have taken over the world already. Oh my gosh, we'd be so oh, fucked for sure. <laughs> I mean, they can get a lot done without thumbs already. Yeah, dude, didn't you see the birds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they uh, they live in like small family groups, which turns out is really important because they actually have like cultural transmission of their tool manufacture which like how crazy is that um like they teach their young how do you yeah so they really that's why they have that really long period where the juveniles stay with the adults because the juveniles are learning from the adults how to use tools um and so the parents will take the juveniles to like sites where they use tools and they also let like the younger birds play with their like grown-up adult tools (laughs) so they can see like how to use them and then they can figure out like how to make them oh Um, that's amazing that is so sweet it's totally wild um but yeah so they're the only non-primate species for which there is evidence of cumulative cultural evolution in tool manufacture which is jargony jargon to say that they can like pass their tool designs on through there mm-hmm. yeah through like learning there's some of the first animals that we've seen besides humans that use the same tools for multiple purposes so this was really cool so they presented crows with like a bunch of new objects that they had never seen before and some of the crows like approached them and like poked them with tools instead of poking them with their bills because it seemed like it would be safer mm. <laughs> oh that is so cool yeah dude they what? know when something's shady hell yeah (laughs) 
instead of leaving it. fingerprints, do you think they don't want to leave their beak prints? Maybe. <laughs> That's probably it. They're super into true crime and they're like, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, they're like, don't touch it I'm with your toe. DNA. <laughs> <laughs> they're telling their kids. <laughs> That's why it's called a murder of crows. It's because oh. of their true crime oh. interest. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess it's pretty unusual for animals to be able to use the same tools for multiple purposes. I don't know. I can't name all the species that can do it, but humans are one of them. <laughs> one of only a few, it seems. <laughs> this um, is just like reminding me of this morning. I was trying to hammer a nail into the wall. To hang up this thing. <laughs> I'm about to prove that like Corbins are smarter than me, but I didn't have a hammer. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't want to let go of where the nail was on the wall. And the nearest thing was a rock. So I just... <laughs> Have this rock, and of course, I like <laughs> hit my finger like first thing. <laughs> Stuffly, like looking around, like anyone see that? <laughs> uh, caveman style, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> I'm gonna be real that I think Corvids are smarter than all of us. So it's, yes. you're among you're 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 like in good company. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> what else? Oh, there's this video that I think we should link up to the podcast. Um, I don't know if y'all have seen this, but there's this video of this uh, New Caledonian crow solving this like. I think it's eight steps that it takes to, like, solve this puzzle. His name is 007. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the exact So there's a video of him doing this puzzle where he, like, has to use a long or, like, a short stick to get a longer stick and then use the longer stick to, like, knock weights down and then take these weights over and, like, pile up enough of them that the treat falls down. And, like, it's just wild. Yeah, we'll have to link it. It's really cool to watch. Yeah, um, holy shit. When you said you were talking about these birds, I was really hoping you would talk about this video because it's like one of my favorite Corvid things on yes, the internet. It's like my favorite. Actually, when I was doing outreach like at my study site with the Stellar's Jays, I would show that video because I thought it was just so cool. And I had a slide about Corvids, of course, because they're amazing. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, yes. so they're capable of really complex problem solving. And researchers have shown that like kind of like a chess player, like they can think out a sequence of behaviors, like at least like three moves ahead mm. of whatever they're working Ooh. on. So they can visualize at least three steps to getting whatever reward it is that they're trying to get, which is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's crazy. Did anyone, was anybody into, like, Aesop's fables when you were a kid? Kind oh, of. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I forgot I about suppose. those. I've read them. I don't know if I was, like, into them, but I've read yeah, them. Yeah, that's how I was. Like, I remembered reading them as a kid, but I couldn't have probably told you the title of, like, a single one of them. <laughs> but when I was doing, so we did, like, a little Halloween outreach thing last Friday, and I talked about Corvids, <laughs> and there was... Yeah, John, when I was working on this presentation, was like, oh, did you ever hear the story of, like, the crow in the pitcher in Aesop's Fables? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that sounds maybe vaguely familiar. But it's, like, this story mm-hmm. of this crow who is thirsty and, like, can't reach the water because it's at the bottom of the pitcher. And so he, like, piles up rocks in the pitcher to, like, mm-hmm. bring the water level up. 
Wow. And those were written in like, I don't even know what the fuck year they were written. Like <laughs> something, something, something BC, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. But they had already like witnessed Corvids doing that behavior, which is mind blowing. Yeah. Whoa. Um, that was mostly all I had. Oh, I guess so they can, they cannot recognize themselves in a mirror. Like they don't have self-recognition, but they can process information from mirrors. Like if they saw an object like in the mirror, they were able to go find it without it being like in their direct line of sight, which is kind of cool. Super smart birds, way cool. Really, really tiny geographic range. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Phenomenal cosmic power. Yeah. <laughs> Living space. I'm glad someone got that. <laughs> it's Aladdin. Oh. It's that old school Disney shit. Miss Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Oh, so sad. All right. So I think I'm next. And the corvids that I have chosen to talk about are Eurasian magpies. They're also known as common magpies. Um, and they live throughout like the Eurasian continent, which is like Europe, um, all the way to like the east coast of uh, China and Russia. Um, they're, they're really, really widespread, but also corvids and super cool. One of the like first corvid species to like really have a lot of like a cultural influence on um, humans. Uh, so like there's a lot of symbolism surrounding these magpies which is really cool Um, they're like associated with a bunch of like different superstitions of either like ill fortune or like um, good fortune it's also kind of depending on how many you saw which I just think is really interesting because it's like there's a rhyme about like you see depending on how many magpies you see like your fate will be determined (laughs) that day (laughs) Um, Jen, you should read the rhyme. It's really cool. I don't know. I like it. So it's one for sorrow, two for mirth, three for a funeral, and four for birth. This is like a crazy old European or British rhyme. And also, like, there's a superstition where, like, if you fail to salute a magpie you've walked past, then bad luck waits around the next corner for you. Oh, I like that. Wow. <laughs> Just like conjures an image of all of these very proper British people saluting groups of magpies down the street. And the magpies just like, like whatever. We should all like we should all curtsy when we see Corvids. <laughs> oh, the Corvid curtsy. That's why Sounds I feel like, like it's move. perfect. There's even alliteration. Hell yeah. Um, but yeah, so these birds, like most Corvids, are crazy smart. They can pass the mirror test. Um, which Kristen just alluded to, but it's just, like, the ability to, like, recognize yourself in a reflection, basically. So, like, they would, like, put stuff on corvids or or put stuff on these, um, on these Eurasian magpies, and, like, the Eurasian magpies would be able to see, like, oh, there's something on my wing, or, like, if there's something in the room behind them, similar kind of deal. It's so cool. Yeah, and it's also, like, they can recognize, they would put them in front of a mirror with a mark on themselves and then another magpie with them that's not marked and they'll be able to tell like oh the mark is on me it's not on the other magpie and apparently only four other animal species have accomplished this so i'm guessing like dolphins is one of them 
Um, probably. Probs. But I don't I know. Bet so. mm-hmm. I Wait, did they count humans Mike? in the list? <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, so, yeah, these magpies, I don't have a ton about them. There's a whole bunch of different, like, subspecies. Basically, they're just, like, really, really brilliant kind of birds for how small they are, too. Um, they and another species, I think jackdaws are the other species that have, like, the largest brain to body, or, like, size of this part of their brain called, uh, I'm going to pr- mispronounce this, nidopalium. Nidopalium? Hmm. Seems legit. I believe you. <laughs> I'm not a neuroscientist. I believe you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. It's got this, so this part of the brain that I can't pronounce is one of the like centers of complex thought um, and is also like attributed to a lot of like higher cognitive function of like reasoning and inference and problem solving and the size of this part of the brain to their body size like that ratio is the same relative size as like chimpanzees gorillas orangutans and humans that's so cool yeah so it's it's so cool so they have this crazy like reasoning center within their brains that they use to get into all sorts of trouble yes (laughs) mischief (laughs) so um yeah these birds like they don't have nearly the like young dependency stage of new caledonian crows Mm. but they do remain in non-breeding flocks with like oh other yeah like little youth groups (laughs) yeah they have little magpie youth groups i don't know they're corvids it might be gangs oh Oh. yeah (laughs) that's a scary gang (laughs) yeah dude i mean i feel like all corvids get into mischief so that's very true they will have these youth groups or gangs (laughs) um <laughs> Interchangeable <Depending on laughs> group. <laughs> Roving gangs of Eurasian magpies wandering the streets. Sounds about <laughs> right. Is a roving youth group scarier though? Yeah. <laughs> They're just trying to convert you. No, that's some missionary bullshit. <laughs> roving youth groups does sound way more insidious. Oh, yeah, that to is me. menacing. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, generally they have these roving youth groups of magpies that just like hang out for their first couple of years, and then uh, after that they'll mo- they'll breed monogamously, so they are actually like pair bonded for life. Um, yeah, so two magpies will like pair bond, and then they'll rear chicks year after year. And there's like some concept of love or affection because one of the craziest things about magpies um, or Eurasian magpies is that they're not only social so they like to hang out with other magpies but they also have ways of expressing grief Mm. um which is so sweet so they will express grief they'll hold like little funerals kind of where like if they find a magpie that they were familiar with as has passed away or died all of the like magpies will be around the dead one and like they'll grieve for it and oftentimes, like, the mate of the magpie that has died won't 
Preet the next year as like a mourning period. Yeah, so it's just really, it's really sweet. I feel like this was a study, there was a study that I saw fairly recently, and it was not, I believe, for magpies. I think it was for American crows, where they talked about how not only do they grieve for the, like, dead individual, but they also are, like, slightly, they investigate the body, basically, like, trying to figure out what killed it. See, Mm -hmm. they're super into murder mystery. (laughs) True Uh crime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dude. One might call it a murder investigation. Uh, Ah. mm -hmm. (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I think I definitely read. Yeah. So I think they use them to like learn about areas that are dangerous and yeah, try to figure out like what killed it. So they know if there's like a novel predator in the area that they yeah. need to worry about. Is it predator? Is it also like food source? I don't remember the specifics. I so. think they, I mean, they did something like have a dead crow next to like a red-tailed hawk, which is like a known predator, versus like a human with a mask wearing, mm-hmm. like with a dead crow. And then I don't remember what they used for a control. It was like, I don't know, some random object that, I don't know, wasn't important to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they like learned... I mean, they already they would like mob the red-tailed hawk, and then the next time they saw like that person in the mask, I think they would mob that person, whether or not there was a dead crow. So they like mm-hmm. learned that that person was dangerous. It was something like that. Yeah, I should probably read the study. I, I might have might have made some of that up, but it was <laughs> oh something gosh. to that effect. But like with the mask thing, they teach other crows about the people with the masks and like their offspring and so there's like generations of crows that know that like richard nixon richard nixon is a bad person (laughs) (laughs) i mean they're not wrong yeah (laughs) uh and honestly, that mask was like scary as hell. Like that is it was the right really response. scary. <laughs> I feel mm-hmm. like all of them were horrifying. It's yeah, yeah. Like better tell like, twelve generations about that thing. Oh. <laughs> Forget about Jason. <laughs> Fuck this Richard Nixon guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that study um, was. I guess we're referencing a study from the University of Washington. Uh, that I think it was yeah. led by John Marsliff's group. They do so much cool Corbett oh, work. Yes. Mm-hmm. <gasps> I have a total career crush on John Marsloff. <laughs> oh, seriously. <laughs> Dude, I have one of his books and I still haven't read it. I have like, t- yeah, I have two on my shelf that I have yet to actually read. <sighs> yeah. Um, also, I want to just cite this article about grieving magpies. Um, it's called Animal Emotions, Wild Justice, and Why They Matter. Grieving magpies, a pissy baboon, and empathetic elements. And I just love the phrase, pissy baboon. (laughs) That's the exact word I picture for a baboon. (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) Also, I just, whenever anybody tells me I'm being unprofessional, I'll be like, excuse me, there's this article that says the word pissy baboon in the title of it. And it's really, really well cited. (laughs) Wait, is it a like peer-reviewed journal article? Yeah, it's in emotion, space, and society. That makes it even better. I was like, that's not so crazy for like a, you know, journalistic 
news article, but like peer reviewed. They don't let you have fun. No. Yeah, this is inspiring. This is the direction peer review should be going. (laughs) I agree. I want to be, I'm calling it within the next 15 years, somebody's going to publish an article that is not about the word itself, but it's just going to have fuck in it somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yes. Almost definitely. Yes. (laughs) I hope at Mm -hmm. least. Uh Uh-huh. So magpies, um, yeah, they're just, right. they're just, they're super cool. Uh, oh, this is also really cool. I don't think we've talked about it yet, um, but there's this folklore thing, which I it has to be based on fact, based on the other Corvid stuff that I've seen, is that um, there's folklore associated with these magpies that's believed that they have like a penchant for shiny items mm-hmm. um, like precious stones or metal objects and there's references to it in like opera as well which is really cool <laughs> corvids do steal shiny objects like they're kind of known for picking up things that they like find interesting but yeah they're just they're so cool and they're so incredibly smart they can like remember where they stored things from prior seasons so like they cache food yeah um in areas uh because they eat oh i forgot to say what they eat they do this one doesn't have anything nearly as fun as what was it edible matter (laughs) yeah edible matter (laughs) (laughs) um they eat young birds, eggs, small mammals, insects, scraps, carry-on, acorns, grains, and other vegetable substances. Ooh, vegetable substances. <laughs> it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm imagining Soylent Green, but... Yeah, I was just thinking, <laughs> I, I feel like it's kind of a euphemism for something icky. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yeah, so they'll cache food like when there's abundance, um, and then they'll go back to the caches during times of leniency so like when there's not a lot of food around so smart doomsday preppers right but they also do this crazy thing in captivity these birds will cut the food to the correctly sized portions for their oh. young oh. wait that's really cool <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and like as they grow older they'll like cut it larger and larger wow um, that's really impressive. Yeah. I feel like I've seen a lot of adult birds like try to feed their young things that were way too big. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yep. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go real quick because we are running long. Yeah. They're just really, really smart and they have these crazy social hierarchies. And they also, I think this is probably an imitation thing more than anything else, but they also apparently use tools to clean their own cages in captivity. What? <laughs> so, yeah. Aww. This there, It says... This this source says citation needed, but um, it might be an imitation thing, which I've seen like orangutans do in captivity and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. potentially, way cool. Wow. All right, and that's all I got for Eurasian magpies. Cool. I'm gonna go next. Yes. I am going to be talking about scrub jays. Uh, there's a couple different flavors of scrub jays. The first yes. one <laughs> is the Florida scrub jay. They, as you might be able to tell from the name, only live in Florida. <laughs> They're swampy. Um, oh, no. Soggy? <laughs> uh. um, they were 
described in <laughs> the 18th century, which is a full century before any of the other scrub jays were described to science. Wow. Um, so that's pretty cool. They're super, super sedentary. They pretty much don't move away from where they were uh, hatched. I love it. Yeah. Um, That's how I spend my days now. This is a real typical American bird. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, It's restricted to this, like, dry oak scrub, a fire-dominated, like, shrubby community um, in sandy soils of Florida. Um, they breed co- cooperatively, which is sort of neat. Oh. So each territory will have like one monogamous breeding pair, and then any offspring that are like still alive and kicking will be um, sort of like stay at home and help the breeding pair during the next breeding season. Um, so oh. the helpers help um, feed the young. Uh, that are still, like, dependent on adults, and they'll um, detect and mob predators and sort of defend the territory. And so uh, it's actually pretty cool because the breeders that have helpers produce more offspring than lone pairs do. Um, Basically, all of the scrub jays are what you would classify as scatter hoarders. So they just stash all of their food all across their territory just me laughing it's a thing it's called scatter hoarding um it sounds filthy (laughs) oh nasty i don't know why it just does i mean it sounds similar to olive's like running down the hallway pooping situation (laughs) (laughs) it was scarlet but that's okay whatever (laughs) <laughs> sorry olive <laughs> i didn't mean to put that on you olive i'm sorry baby it's okay she can't hear it uh, um anyways so they all of the scrub jays scatter hoard um their food <laughs> sorry i'm uh, sorry i'm together i am um, together florida scrub jays can um stash like anywhere between 6,500 to 8,000 acorns in their territories, like, in a year. That's horrifying. That's a horrifying number of acorns. (laughs) Right? Like, it's a huge number of acorns. And um, so they'll, like, actually, like, hammer them into the sand to, like, stash them. Oh, acorns. Yeah. Um, And sometimes they'll, like, stuff them in tufts of pine needles or Spanish moss or things like that. Um they spend a ton of time digging up and like just checking their acorns to make sure that they're still good and like remember where they're all at. Um, it's like a paranoid yes. pirate burying his treasure. Like, yeah, I guess. Going back to dig um, it up once a year just to check on it. They'll also store animal food like lizard bodies or bits of meat or bird eggs. Gross, but always in. Um, above ground vegetation, the body parts do not go in the sand. Smart. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no mummified, no, no mummified Mm-mm. lizards for these bad boys. <laughs> no sandy lizards. <laughs> There's too many sandy lizards and sandy acorns in this episode. <laughs> Just out of control. <laughs> yes. Um, 
Okay, so that's a quick overview of Florida Scrub Jays. Um, and then there are like four, well, three Scrub Jays that are native to Western North America. There's the Island Scrub Jay, which is found only mm-hmm. on the island of Santa Cruz, which is off the California coast. <gasps> I, I know that place. Yeah, Jen, do you know <laughs> Santa Cruz at all? I don't know the island of Santa Cruz, but I know Santa Cruz. <laughs> Good. Is Santa Cruz, like, is it technically one of the Channel Islands? I think so. Okay. Um, I know it's I in the same so. area as them for sure. I could be totally wrong, yeah. so don't take that as, like, the end-all, be-all. Um, but they also stash acorns and lizards and other bits of food, um, including, like, deer mice. They'll just stash entire deer mice places. Oh, yeah, nice. Decorating. Um, The island scrub jay is sort of interesting because it's endemic only to one island. And so species that are endemic to islands tend to either be gigantic compared to their mainland counterparts or much smaller than mainland counterparts. Um, Island scrub jays are about 15% larger and 40% heavier with a build that's about 20% longer than California scrub jays. What Um, a chonk! Yeah, so they're pretty big, (laughs) uh, for a scrub jay at least. Um, And they're also pretty fearless of humans, because they don't really know that humans are a big deal. Um, and then mm-hmm. they're also pretty like inquisitive and opportunistic in their foraging habits. The next two are California scrub jays and Woodhouse's scrub jays, which were up until two or three years ago lumped together into the Western scrub jay, but they split them apart um, because they're actually distinct from each other. They eat lots of different types of like seeds and acorns and nuts and insects and animal parts and other objects. I don't know what other objects is, but mm. <laughs> what? Um, like French fries and other human food refuse. Um, so they understand which items are more perishable than others and they'll eat the perishable items um, sooner and then let the other less perishable items sit for longer. Basically, experiments in laboratories have uh, suggested that the like control of this caching behavior involves um, two different motivational systems. So one basically with about food consumption and another with storing objects. So there's like these two motivations. They're like, yes, I need to eat, but also what? I have this need to store stuff. Um, I have the need for Tupperware (laughs) these are not Marie Kondo it's all about organization (laughs) scatter hoarding the opposite of Marie Kondo just everywhere just wherever (laughs) (sighs) um Yes. California scrub jays can store like 5,000 acorns in one autumn and shit. Yeah, that's a lot. So food caching uh, behaviors, they use landmarks and the sun as a compass to orient themselves. 
Ooh, and impressive. they might use um, information provided by the location of the sun preferentially over landmark cues when they're like relocating their mm. stores. Um, they use spatial memory to retrieve the stuff that they store. And um, they can remember what kind of food items they stored in what location and when it was stored. So they sort of like keep this, oh. keep track of like how old certain food items are and they can go back to the ones and eat them that are like gonna go bad um i can't even do that i know i find stuff in the back of my fridge that's expired (laughs) like (laughs) i forgot what it is (laughs) spatial memory is shot (laughs) yeah all of mine are cached in the same place and i know and there's not five thousand of them That's nuts. I'm so impressed. Yeah. Wow. Everyone needs a household scrunching. The the caching behavior is also affected by experience and social context. So um, some of them will steal other scrub jays' caches. And when... um, Cache. When they're being observed by another scrub jay, they'll recache those items when they know no other scrub jay is around so like they they're aware of where their other scrub jays are and like if they're being watched and then they'll like wait until they leave and then be like ha 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 i fooled you i'm gonna go hide it somewhere else (laughs) um wow yeah so scrub jays that haven't like don't have experience stealing other birds caches they don't Mm -hmm move their food when they're being observed by other scrub jays so like oh they're naive yeah they they're naive they're, they don't <laughs> they don't like since they're not stealing other birds food they don't like make the connection or something or they don't anyways yeah so that's sort of interesting rose tinted glasses wow mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, and Shit. then really quick the last one I'm going to talk about is the Mexican jay I know it doesn't have scrub jay in its name, but it's in the same genus. Um, they also s- cache food across our territories, and they use spatial memory to recover food, and they remember cache locations, but not nearly as accurately as um, species such as a pinion jay or Clark's nutcracker. Um, those t- two species learn spatial tasks faster and remember locations over shorter time spans better than Mexican jays, but um, long-term retention of the places where they store food is, like, the same, so. Damn. Um, And that's basically correlated with the size of the hippocampus, which is important for spatial memories in birds. The last little nugget I have about Mexican jays is that they do outperform Clark's Nutcrackers in observational spati- spatial memory. Um, I love that this is a contest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Apparently, I didn't know this was a contest, but apparently it is. Um, so basically, observational spatial memory is related to um, recovering a cache after watching um, another j store the food and Mm. it's postulated that that's related to um like mexican jays being more social than clark's nutcrackers Mm. 
So, mm-hmm. anyways, interesting uh, stuff. Corvids so are so cool. cool. Yeah, they are. So smart. See, they're smarter than us. They can remember where they store six thousand to eight thousand acorns every year. Oh man. Okay. Um. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to our episode about corvids. I hope you learned something. I definitely did. They just corvids are amazing in general. Um, want to do a real quick shout out. Uh, Dexter Patterson or at I am Dexter P on Twitter. Um, he is a podcaster or like an audio engineer strategic communicator hip-hop mc and birder and he gave us some really really kind wonderful advice uh for our podcast and i just thought it was really nice oh he said uh about our podcast be yourself and stay consistent be patient and focus on highlighting your passion and expertise birds are the best and yes you are right at i am dexter p that was very nice oh that's so sweet give us that little nugget i love that um so yeah go check him out on twitter do we have other housekeeping stuff that we need to yeah i think it's just all the social things i have no other extras um our website is what is our website are we flocktail hour dot wordpress.com i should write these down is what i should do (laughs) i believe you can find us at flocktail hour dot wordpress.com yes you can Yes. Awesome. (laughs) Can confirm. (laughs) What are our other social Uh, medias, y'all? Twitter at Flocktails. We have Instagram at Flocktails Pod or at Flocktail Hour. And then we are at Flocktail Hour on Facebook. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. you can send us an email at flocktailspodcast at gmail.com if you have any Corvids or other birds that you want us to talk about as well. Yes, feel free to share um, personal Corvid stories, too. They ooh, never get old. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And thank you, everyone, for sharing us and retweeting us on Twitter. We've gotten a couple retweets on shares in the past couple of days. That's been really awesome. Um, thank you to all of our listeners as well. Um, we appreciate you. <laughs> we really do though i'm not laughing because it's not true i'm laughing out of sincerity obviously (laughs) yeah no it's cool we all love birds so much so it's nice to have some other people that are interested in hearing us rant about how wonderful birds are hey mom (laughs) (laughs) dude my mom hasn't even listened to it i love you mom Y'all should get your moms listening. It'll be good. (laughs) I don't know if I can teach my mom how to figure out getting to a podcast and listening to it. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Maya Pershy. I'm Kristen Brunk. I'm Jen Schneiderman. And I'm Ashley Ola. And we'll see you next time.